Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by the Success League, a consulting and training firm focused on driving revenue through customer success. This podcast is also brought to you by Strike Deck, a medallia company. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. My name is Kristen Hayer, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. On today's episode, I'll be talking with Donna Weber, the president of Springboard Solutions and the author of Onboarding Matters, a book focused on the onboarding phase of the customer journey. Donna and I will be talking about her book and sharing some of her approaches. Donna, welcome to the podcast. Kristen, it's a real pleasure as always. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Um, can you share with our audience how you ended up in the field of customer success? Yeah, absolutely. I've been working in the field of customer education and customer enablement for several years. And I started to see, um, I started, you know, at conferences and in professional organizations, I started to hear about how we had to have, uh, um, show our impact on the larger organization and on the right. customers, not just churn out courses, even though they might be awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and so um, I started hearing about that impact, you know, the world was transitioning more to subscriptions and SaaS and um, and then a customer success, of course, started landing on the horizon. And to be honest, you know, one, I saw I, I saw I was often the one kind of standing up for the customers at several companies I worked for. And so I, I had that passion for customers. And then two, I, I also saw that customer success is there's just so much energy and vitality and camaraderie and community. And I just I'm like, I, I want a piece of that. I want to be part of that. So yeah, um, probably about mm, six, seven years ago, I started to transition my career uh, from customer education to customer success. And I still incorporate a lot of the, the education and enablement uh, best practices that I that I you know, am, am, am an expert in. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that you mentioned the camaraderie of our field because I feel like that's one of the best things. It's been fun getting to know you over the years and, um, you know, going on walks and doing stuff together as we've been at the same events and things. And so I think that's one of my favorite things about our field. I agree. And it's it's kind of like a startup. We have this mission to change the world and right. we're all in it together. And it's, you know, it's kind of crazy at times, but there's there's this huge desire to learn and grow and make a difference. And those are all aligned with my core values. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, tell me a little bit more about Springboard Solutions. What does your consultancy focus on? Well, my uh, my business Springboard Solutions, I launched it five years ago. Uh, uh -huh. April is my um, anniversary. So oh, congratulations. I'm really excited about that. Thank you. And um, so I, you know, I focus on helping high growth companies create customers for life and um, focusing, uh, specializing in the customer onboarding and enablement. Okay, great. Um, so we're gonna talk today about your new book, which is very exciting because I kind of, I feel like I've kind of been on the journey with you a little bit as you've been writing it. Um, and your new book is called Onboarding Matters. Um, so to kick things off, can you tell me why you wrote it and who you think it's for in terms of an audience? Yeah, so um, the, I wrote it because, and, and I specialize in customer onboarding, 
because I see that there's a gap that, um, you know, we've built up these very sophisticated um, uh, pre-sales journeys and sales funnels. And we built out all these customer facing teams like customer success, customer education, services, support. But then um, on the post sales side, on the customer journey side, it's often very ad hoc right. and, and reactive, even though, you know, customer success is now an established field and many companies know how important, you know, being customer centric is and know how important it is to have customer success teams. I still don't see customer facing teams working together. They're often very siloed and they're often very reactive. So um, I built out the orchestrated onboarding framework and uh, which is a framework of best practices and I've been working with it with companies and then um, and then uh, uh, decided to get the word out to a larger audience with uh, with the book. It's so exciting. So you called the book onboarding matters, not implementation matters. Um, those two terms get thrown around kind of interchangeably in our field. What is the difference? Yes, I'm glad you asked that, Kristen, because what I see is that, in a sense, the more um, I work with companies um, about with onboarding, I realize they're actually what they're actually calling onboarding is their implementation. Right. And of course, you know, I work with software companies primarily. And of course, a product needs to be implemented because otherwise there's nothing for people to use and there's no license. <laughs> <to remove>. Right. <laughs> and, and that's only part of the story, because as you right. and I know, it's not just about going live with a product. It's about building trusting and enduring relationships. Mm -hmm. So onboarding incorporates the implementation, but the implementation that onboarding is so much larger. Uh, so, for example, um, uh, most companies I work with, they're really focused on the software, the features, the functions, the go live, and they're not building strategic relationships with their new customers. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I see this all the time, and it's one of my biggest pet peeves because I feel like what happens is that, you know, there's this buyer relationship that has been developed through the sales process, sometimes for quite a long time, sometimes for like over a year that the salesperson has been working on this relationship and that it's a rich relationship. It's a trusted advisor relationship. And the second that they buy something, um, everything starts to focus on the team that's actually going to execute the project of implementation. And that buyer relationship just gets dropped because the salesperson's off on their next thing and the CSM might be waiting until implementation is done to try to pick that relationship back up. If the implementation is two weeks long, that might be fine. But for most products where the implementation is, you know, many weeks or months, um, or even in some cases years, that relationship is gone by the time the, the CSM tries to pick back up. And so, you know, that that relationship piece needs to continue, I think, through implementation um, as a part of onboarding as a whole. And so if you look at if you look at onboarding holistically, I think that becomes a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. So when you focus on the implementation, you're you're focusing on project lists, project yeah. planning, task lists, and you're not focusing on people and relationships. Yeah. And in addition, you're it's very tactical. And you yeah. know, you, you know, oftentimes there's issues, data migration, APIs, customizations. 
And so then immediately new accounts are dealing with all these technical issues. And so instead, I recommend you you slow that down a little bit. Yeah. And so that you, you have time to build a relationship, capture those really important success outcomes and objectives, yep. have kickoffs, excuse me, have a handoff, have success plans, <laughs> define quick wins before you have any kickoff. And now a lot of companies I work with get really panicked. Well, that's going to slow things down. But the reality is it, it, it speeds things up because they're having so many issues with the implementation. They're having to bring the buyer back in, they're having to bring the sales rep back in, they're having to rewrite contracts. And the project teams are completely blindsided by this new project they're supposed to implement and use. That's, that all slows things down. So by, by, by starting with um, the first two stages of my um, orchestrated onboarding framework, which are embark and handoff, you actually address a lot of the stuff that uh, that that is going to make the downstream you address things upstream and the downstream happens much more quickly and companies that i work with save you know 20 plus percent time and money on their implementations as a result yeah i i could see that because it it just that take a deep breath <laughs> you don't have to like rush right in and and plan and i think that planning piece is so important and um, when you and I were prepping for this interview, you mentioned that you don't see onboarding as the CSM's job. And I think that might be kind of contentious. <laughs> so well, well, um, why not? Go ahead. Well, whose, whose job is it then? Well, it all depends. You know, okay. a lot of people ask me questions like, how many accounts should a CSM have? And, oh. you know, and uh, <laughs> who should do this? And should we have renewal reps? And should we, you know, should, yeah. should CSM sell? Like, there's no there's no one answer right it's really it depends what works for your company so um you know generally at smaller companies yeah. you have fewer people and people uh, are more generalists so you might have a csm who's doing onboarding and training and and i want to emphasize i probably said more that training is not the csm's role because yeah. i'm very adamant about that <laughs> i agree with that and then as the company grows then you might have onboarding specialists but, you know, like, for example, one company um, I work with, they have a CRM product and they're based in Hungary and um, they had like this kind of CSMs. They had like implementation team, but they also were like the CSMs and, uh, you know, technical folks would get all technical and then non-technical folks didn't know how to be so technical. And um, I said, you know, why don't you keep the technical folks as the implementation analysts and make the less technical folks more strategic? and have them be the customer success managers. Um, you know, so it, it really depends kind of how technical yeah. you might have professional services consultants who are doing the implementation. So there's no set role. I do believe that the customer success managers need to stay strategic mm -hmm. and they need to be the business advisors and not be like the gophers, the implementation consultants and everything in between, you know, logging supports tickets. So, the, the more reactive they are, the less strategic they'll be, to, which will help, you know, customers be sticky, get to value and, and uh, expand. You're, you're not going to be able to do that when they're being very tactical. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think having a CSM in there grabbing that buyer or decision maker relationship right away is so critical because then they can be that point of escalation for the team that is doing onboarding. Um, so that if there's challenges or problems or anything, they can kind of help to um, keep the project moving and um, not have things get stuck, um, which 
I know you and I both know, and we've talked about this before, it happens in a lot of implementations. Things yeah, yeah. Get well, stuck. I worked with um, uh, last year, they, um, they provide uh, uh, software for medical practices. Yeah. And so they would have like the implementation analysts would come in, I guess, after the deal closed, and they would guide them through the implementation. And then they would introduce the CSM at the end. Well, what happened, they, they, um, the implementation analysts were spending probably 30 plus percent um, more, 30 percent plus of their time uh, 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 with existing customers because the customers had this relationship with this implementation person and they keep coming back to them. Right. So part of uh, the, we mapped out a, a whole new onboarding framework for them where the CSM engaged right away, even before yeah. the deal closes to capture those success outcomes, to help them understand the journey, the customer journey moving forward, what onboarding looks like and beyond. Then um, they, they introduce the implementation team. They stay a little bit engaged throughout the implementation, but then that way they have that, that new trusted relationship. Yeah, I think that's a good way to go. Um, you know, your book has separate chapters on the handoff and the kickoff. Um, from your perspective, what's the difference there? Yeah, that's also an area where I like uh, uh, people to slow down because what they do is they're trying to dive right into the weeds of the kickoff. I see the kickoff as as more the project plan and the tactical, um, you know, approach for how we're going to implement and go live on the product. And the handoff is different. And in my handoff, I call it the handoff stage, but it actually incorporates two handoffs. One is an internal handoff and two is a customer handoff. Yeah. And most people, most companies I talk with have an internal handoff and or they often tell me, well, yeah, it, we have it, uh, but we don't really do it. <laughs> yeah, so, it's often really inconsistent. Is yeah, like, like, well, yeah, we, yeah. it's part of our, our uh, you know, process, but no one ever does it. Right. So, um, so the internal handoff, as you were saying, you, you have all this relationship collateral that the sales yep. rep has. So they need to transfer that to the customer success manager. Right. And it needs to be done through a conversation because you're not capturing all that information necessarily in a field in a CRM. You know, you might, you know, I could look up Salesforce or HubSpot and see, okay, this is what you bought. This is where you're located. These are your objectives, you know, but I'm, you know, I need to know things like Kristen's passionate about her dog and uh, she loves minis, you know, things like that, that help build, yeah. build relationships, not mini dogs, mini cars. Yeah. <laughs> Mini Coopers. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, you know, or, um, you know, Kristen's great to work with, but this other person on their team is really um, a bottleneck and they are kicking and screaming. You know, we need to know yeah. those things so that the post sales teams can be uh, successful. So that's the internal handoff. Uh -huh. Then on the customer side, too often, you know, uh, uh, there's all this this conversations between the buyer and the sales rep, and then we get to the customer journey. And I, I I have what I call the customer success bow tie, which details out the buyer journey and then the customer journey. Yeah. On the customer journey, then you know, just because you had all these great conversations with a buyer does not mean it's being communicated to the project team and the people who are going to be using it. And so too often, you know, you're trying to get the product implemented. And maybe those project teams suddenly are told, hey, you got to go implement this project at uh, this product. And they have no idea why. Right. They may be nervous that, gosh, if this implements, I'm going to lose my job. 
you know, maybe there's those concerns. They might be working with five other projects and it's like one more thing on their plate. And all of those are things that derail onboarding and implementation. Yeah. So um, they, on the customer handoff, it's important for, uh, you know, the, the CSM to share with the project team, you know, what was purchased and why, and the, the, the success objectives that they know, and ideally even have the buyer there to help them understand that. So for this company that does the uh, medical software, um, medical practice software, we call that um, that customer facing handoff, we call it a client alignment meeting. Okay. Where the, the buyer, the stakeholder, the, per, the main purpose is that they are there to bring their, yeah. their teams together to help them understand, hey, we purchased this product, this is awesome, all the reasons, this is why you need to make it a priority, and uh, they would get introductions. So all of that really lubricates the rest of onboarding and implementation. I mean, that one thing, if people would just do that one thing, that having the buyer on that kickoff call at the beginning or that handoff call, you know, just to tell everybody on their own team why this is important would solve so many downstream problems. I know. It's it's such an easy thing. They don't even have to be there for the whole rest of the call. They just have to be there for that beginning part where they set the stage. It's five minutes that saves hours and days down the road. I agree. And and everyone wants to just roll the handoff into the kickoff. And like, you know, and they don't get that it's going to save time. I mean, and, and for an example, I, a company I worked with last year, I had all this, uh, you know, these conversations with the buyer, the stakeholder, the chief, she's, she's the chief customer officer at a supply chain uh, management platform. And, um, and you know, I, I assume then I have this core team that I work with. And I assume she communicated all of that to, to her team and it was never communicated, which caused some very uncomfortable issues downstream. Yeah. And as a result of that, I now, so, you know, as part of my framework, I use success plans for, um, for uh, companies to leverage for these, um, for these handoff meetings. And I now use, so I incorporate my own framework now. Yeah. And um, we include the success plan to make sure everyone knows what the objectors are with this success measurements are yep. and um and we talk about gaps and risks and concerns and build out a racy model so we're not just assuming anything and racy it stands for um responsible accountable consulted and informed yep. so you know and i just kicked off a new client today and, and we, we we um we went through all of that together so then we're all literally on this on the same page and everything just runs so much more smoothly and quickly down downstream. Yeah, it really, it really does make a big difference. So I hope if you take nothing else away, audience, from this podcast, take away that. <laughs> That's the big easy one. Um, it's a no-brainer. Um, before we continue with the rest of the interview, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. If you like Strike Deck Radio, I'd like to introduce you to my new podcast, Reading for Success. Reading for Success is a short weekly podcast where I review books and articles on customer success leadership, break them down for you, and help you figure out whether or not they are worth your time. We will also be featuring author interviews from time to time. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many of the other podcast platforms. I hope you'll join me for Reading for Success. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I love data. 
If you want to create a data-driven customer success program, StrikeDeck's Pro Guide to Customer Success is a report based on a preliminary study of 5,600 CS professionals from nearly 600 companies. It highlights the scope of customer success and offers valuable data points to help CS professionals enhance their initiatives. Get access to it now and let data drive your decision making. We'll add the link in the description of this podcast. And now back to today's episode. So Donna, another question I get a lot, and I know you address this in your book, is whether or not a company should be charging for onboarding services. Can you share your thoughts on whether or not this is appropriate? Yeah, and I'm interested with what your take on this is. I have an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I always have an opinion. I want to hear Kristen's opinion. So um, yes, I believe we should be charging for customer success services, and I know that's contentious. But uh, what I find when companies do that their customers get to value more quickly, they use the product more, they have higher renewal rates, and they're more accountable. When I interview customers of companies I work with, they tell me, the customers tell me, we want to be held accountable. Uh, When I talk with onboarding teams where um, they charge for onboarding, they tell me that people show up for meetings, they do what's needed in between, they do their tasks. So, you know, just like if I, if, I, if I sign up for an online course that's free, I might have all the best intentions in the world to take it. And, um, but when I pay for it, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going- You're, You'll I'm looking, be there. I'm looking for my return on investment. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I'm gonna follow through. So people follow through. In addition, you know, most of the companies I work with, they're high growth. And they're really, um, they're really looking to scale. They might have some great customer success approaches in place. Uh, generally, they're higher touch. They might be treating each new customer as a special snowflake. And uh, they're, you know, they're, they've got some injection of funding, which usually goes into sales and marketing. And now they've got this wave. You know, one customer uh, uh, told me they have a tsunami of customers coming at them. So, th- so they, can't, they can't scale. But it's hard to invest in all these services because there's, you know, oftentimes customer success is seen as a cost center. So even though, yes, we are impacting the bottom line and customers, you know, we're not going to have renewal and expansion without customer success. Uh, there's often this internal perception that, that there's, it's, there, there, there's a cost there. So if we can shift that to being, bringing in some revenue, it doesn't have to have high margins. It could be just to cover costs. It really can shift things internally and you can start to, you know, if, if you're running an onboarding team or a customer success team, you can start to kind of run your show because you've got some revenue coming in. You can hire the resources you need to build a world-class program. You can buy the, the, the tools and systems you need to do this efficiently and go, you know, go from a higher touch to a lower and, and possibly tech touch. So it allows you to really have that impact and not be struggling. So I'm gonna argue the other side of it. I see your side completely. Um, So the other side of it though, and and this is, I'm gonna take the customer side is, why am I paying extra to be successful with a product that you're selling me to begin with? And I should expect that you're gonna make me successful with this product. And so it feels, it can feel to customers, especially on, 
I guess I would argue smaller solutions or things that seem like they should be more intuitive, it seems excessive to charge also for implementation and onboarding. Now, I totally understand your, they need to have some skin in the game um, argument uh, that if people pay for things, they actually show up and do them because that's 100% true. But I think, you know, if you have a product where you cannot justify the cost of charging for onboarding because customers just won't accept it, then your alternative is to have to be a lot tighter with the requirements for onboarding. And you really are going to have to invest, you know, somebody's effort into shepherding those customers through your onboarding process, or, and this is probably more of what companies need to do, they need to automate onboarding more because, um, you know, customers who can't or won't pay for onboarding because of whatever the nature of your solution is, and it seems like it should be very easy, then I think you need to invest in automation and you need to push customers through in a more automated way. And that's the right way to do it. Um, so I guess for me, the toggle is, you know, whether you charge for it or not, is if a customer could get up to speed on your solution solo, um, you know, if it's a solution that they could adopt by themselves, then you, um, you know, you should charge for anything that they're asking you to do above and beyond that. Um, if they can't get up to speed themselves, then it's a harder sell. I think to ask a customer to pay for something that you've already really kind of asked them to pay for. And then I think you should probably roll some of those costs into the cost of your solution. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with you there. May I present my yeah. argument? Oh yes, of course. It's a debate. You guys, it's like an official debate, except for we're not timing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. So, it, you know, it, as always, yeah. it depends on your product and on your yeah. use. And, and, and it doesn't have to be as a separate line item. It could be bundled into the license, which I, you know, I think I highly recommend. Like why, why sell our, our, our customers our product and then not give them everything they need to be successful? Like right. bundle it all in. And in addition, you know, as software becomes more and more of a commodity, it's, um, it's sometimes it's the services that set you apart now. Right. So, um, so therefore, you know, your services... Uh, maybe not just like how to use your product, but how to transform your business as a result yeah. of using the product. So that's where, you know, your services might go above and beyond. Of course, it's not just, you know, oh, we're going to show you how to use your product. It's like, we're going to show you how to like grow your company by 50% this year as a result of using our product. Then you're providing real value, which you can charge for. Yes. And one more point, which is companies are used to paying for reactive um, maintenance and support, at, you know, annually. So let's just shift that, you know, like do a 180 to like, it's, you, rather than it's reactive, you're pro providing some, you know, support, maintenance, and all this proactive services and kind of bundle all that up. And I think customers are more used to paying for those things than we, than we give them. Yeah, credit. but they're moving away from that though. That's the problem I think, because it's, it's, looking at it that way as a very installed software, old school kind of way of thinking of it. And I think, yes, buyers who are in like Gen X, baby boomer generation who grew up with that, you know, old school style of software. Yes, 100%. We're used to like, okay, of course you pay extra, you pay an annual thing to have support or account management or whatever. Um, but the the new buyers, the millennials and the Gen Zs that are coming into the 
workforce are like, why would I do that on a subscription? <laughs> so I think we're going to have to figure that out. And that's probably going to be kind of the, like the next yeah. phase of, um, you know, onboarding and costs of onboarding and how to think about that because those folks are like, that's the free shipping generation <laughs> that's coming, <laughs> you know? It's like they buy the product and everything else is included. And so, you know, then we have to think about how do we incorporate that and still get skin in the game to your earlier point, you know? Well, yeah, I, I would up, uh, uplift the license fee to give them everything they yeah. need. Why, why sell a product and then now they need services to implement it and training to learn how to use it and a CSA, you know, just bundle it yeah. all in so that it's it's the success package yeah i love it um so this is more of an author question than okay. a content question but um what are your favorite and least favorite parts of your your book or writing uh, your book maybe well well when you ask you know you you asked me this when you know when you sent me the 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 what we're going to cover i'm like i love all of my book i looked i like i looked at the table of comment of contents and i like i can't find an area that i don't like as much that you know an area that's like a, a favorite yeah. okay a favorite area is the whole neuroscience because yeah that's fun you know i've written written some articles on this and these are by far my most popular articles uh -huh. because back to our implementation and software you know we think we're dealing with technology we think we're doing with customers we think we're dealing with accounts the reality is we're dealing with people i'm uh -huh. a person you're a person yeah. And we need to take that into account and most people don't. So um, the neuroscience talks about how our brains work and especially during this beginning of our relationships where we're, we're more attuned to, you know, fear and doubt and um, we're, we're more likely to create kind of worst case scenarios in our head and we ruminate over problems. So that's why it's so critical that we get the relationship off to a good start. So, and I think um, I'm going to be doing more research and learning and, and uh, hopefully more writing in that area. And then I can category, categorically say my least favorite part of uh, publishing a book is the release. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my You're God. You're kind of in the middle of it right now. Yeah, so the book hopefully releases on Friday. <laughs> and um, oh, my God. I like I thought the hard part of writing a book was the writing. Yeah. And I had no idea that the publishing was so much work. And um, people who have published books have told me, oh, yeah, it's torture. Nobody told, told me. So I'm just surprised at how much work it is. And, yeah. um, you know, it's kind of like remodeling your house, you know, um, it just the never ends. And there's like more to do and, you know, so many decisions to make and things to figure out. Well, I mean, having watched you go through it, I feel like you're making it look more effortless than it sounds like it has been. Thank you. <laughs> so good for you. Um, last question. This is something we ask all of our guests. What do you see as the biggest trend in customer success today and why? Well, I have to honestly say onboarding and I'm not okay. just saying it because that's my area of expertise. Okay. Because, you know, I've been talking about onboarding for five years now and what I've really seen over the last um, six months six to nine months is that all of these onboarding software vendors are cropping up from all around yeah. the world. They're all reaching out to me. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, they should be. You know? And some are, you know, tiny, they haven't launched yet. Some have been around for longer, but um, there is this, this whole new field of onboarding software that 
that the industry is seeing the need to focus on onboarding and to do it well. And uh, from a tech technology perspective, as well as a process perspective. And, you know, a few months ago, I chatted with uh, Shrisha Ramdas and, uh, and he, that's, I, I asked him, Hey, what trends do you see? And he yeah. said, have a much more point solutions, best in class point solutions, and he specified onboarding. Yeah. So that, that's what I see. And, you know, uh, a, a trend hmm, is a trend. Is it a need? I'll say yes to both trend and need is that, you know, we, there's this very sophisticated data driven, um, digital, um, um, sales journey that that's been, re, you know, refined and become, um, very common. Um, over the last 10 years and customer success, we need to we need to map out and apply the right solutions at the right times, you know, for the right touch for the right person at the right time. And to get all those customer facing teams working together, building all that transparency and communication with, with data and workflows and everything's too siloed right now and ad hoc and still reactive. So that's what I would I'm I, my hope is that, you know, in I don't want to wait 10 years, but hopefully in, you know, three to five years, this, 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 the, the customer journey becomes this seamless, um, 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 you know, sophisticated it's the sales journey. Yeah. 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 I mean, I feel like the sales journey is a lot more linear and the CS journey is a lot more complicated and there's a lot more stakeholders involved. And so I think um, that's part of why it's taking a while, but I totally agree with you on that. And that's, you know, part of what I'm really interested in and focused on right now is is kind of the the journey of the CS team and making it a little more mapped out in a way that is like a sales mm -hmm. journey, but you know takes into account all the complexities. <laughs> so yeah, well, Donna, thank you so much for being a part of Strike Deck Radio today. I'm really excited to read your book. Um, I've read parts of it, but I haven't read the whole thing. Um, and I'm looking forward to reviewing it on my other podcast, Reading for Success. I appreciate you taking the time to join me on the podcast today. Um, if someone wants to reach out to you or buy your book, what do they do? Well, you can go to DonnaWeber.com. That's okay. like the barbecue Weber. W -E okay. So DonnaWeber.com. And uh, you can go to DonnaWeber.com slash book to learn about okay. the book and uh, find out more about me. Sounds good. Um, thanks, Donna. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere you get your podcasts. And finally, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.